Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective, reporting live from uh, Allergy Capital, Austin, Texas, and joined by a guy who, you know, he's in Tinseltown. He is a famous actor, had the titular line in Dexter. He said, oh, hi, Dexter. It's Mark Pellegrino. What's up, man? Hey, it's Allergy Capital of the World here in Los Angeles, too. Oh, what, you have like two things die during the winter that are blooming now? No, man. We've, we've got those uh, crazy winds and the, the desert dust that kicks up and causes all kinds of respiratory issues for people. Oh, I guess I never noticed. Uh, maybe it's a valley thing. No offense, but I hung out in like the cool part of town. Okay, now we got now we got a fight brewing, but let's move uh, towards a more of a serious fight happening in the world between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, what how, how the Westerners are reacting to it now um, in one respect, I've never seen so much unity in the world. Like for once, I'm I'm comfortable going to a protest like for once, there's a cause that I'm comfortable getting on board with, which is siding with Ukraine in this conflict. But uh, of course, people are taking it to ridiculous measures, which is um, canceling anything with the word Russia Anything that's, you know, like like Dostoevsky, I heard is being like no longer is being studied in some in some schools or things like that. The Russian dolls being removed. I'm actually, you know, the Ayn Rand Center UK just announced we're not going to be promoting the Russian born Ayn Rand. Isn't that pretty amazing news? Mm. I never thought objectivists would would roll with that kind of flow. Um, You know, if you can't beat them, join them. But. On a serious note, no, I mean, people are doing this. It's uh, I mean, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, it seems. I, well, I, I just, wonder how I, I wonder how season two of The Russian Doll is going to fare now. I know very, it really. I, very I good looking, TV show. Yeah, I was looking forward to watching it. And unfortunately, now it's they're uh, remo- probably removing season one all, from Netflix. Although I did refuse to go to The Russian Doll premiere at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, specifically because I was protesting Russia. Ah, I'm kidding. Oh, I was going to say, if you knew about that, the, the Ukraine conflict way back in like 2018, that's. Uh... No, no, the season two premiere is happening now. Oh, gotcha. And, they, and gotcha. they had a party for it at the Roosevelt Hotel last week. Oh, well, sorry. I got to be like, yes. And instead of uh, instead of. I know you're out it. of the loop here in Hollywood. You're in Listen, you're in Austin. Hollywood I'm in Austin. East. And I'm making fun of the valley over there. I'm not even in anywhere close to any of it. Uh, but. Um, okay. So, I mean, I mean, how, what do you make of it? I mean, isn't this ridiculous now? Like literally like Russian restaurants are removing the word Russia from their, from their sign. Is there, I mean, Oh, I I think Austin is where that I saw that. Like there's like a Russian restaurant where they, the word Russia, Russian, it's called like Russian house, I think. And the word Russian was removed. So it's called house now. Pretty much like you could sort of see you could sort of see the word Russian, but it's not. Yeah, it's not there anymore. I'm assuming it's the owners. I, I, I wouldn't I would think it wasn't like Austinites who like vandalized the sign. That would be that would be pretty startling. Um, well, 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 I mean, you know, in the day and age of social media, where where craziness is magnified, this this low, lowest common denominator of, of behavior seems to um, seems to get greater purchase. Right. I mean, this would this would be isolated, I think, in. Uh, pre pre social media circumstances, you'd have pockets of stupid like this, but now it seems like um, 
the pockets of stupid can connect with each other across the world and create a larger network of stupid and do stupid things on a grander scale than they could before. Yeah. Do you think, uh, despite that we've seen things being canceled a lot in previous years, there's something different about this, which is that like, there's a group of people now, basically Russians that people are finally comfortable, um, singling out and sort of scapegoating beyond far beyond what's appropriate. So it's not, you know, the Russian government and many of its populace are, you know, complicit in this, in this war. It's more like, no, like finally they're like, finally people are able to just be as bigoted and basically racist as they want towards Russians. And they're just letting, they're letting loose. Do you see that at all? So, so it's, it's the other, rather than, all the tension that has been created by this concept of intersectionality and, and oppression and, uh, and all the divisions that have been created in our society has, has created a, a, a fault line, so to speak, of great tension. And this is providing the outlet for all of that tension, you think? Now they can focus it on one scapegoat uh, other than, you know, white heterosexual males. Right. Yeah. So that was like the group of people that was it was open season, um, according, you know, according to the, you know, leftist uh, egalitarian social justice uh, philosophy. But now there's like Russians and Russia are like even more like um, specific group of people that people are comfortable now just like explicitly expressing hatred towards this group. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely I think you're right that it's like this tension built up by this intersectional uh, breaking people into groups constantly. But also it's kind of like um, for so long, the sort of name of the game was don't be racist. Right. Don't be racist. Don't be racist. Don't be racist. And then finally, OK, you could be racist towards this race. And like people are just like, oh, finally. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. Do you think there's an, an element of that? Could be. Otherism, otherism will will never go away in the world, uh, provided there's some group that uh, you can um, plant all of your sins on and all of your anger and fears on and and uh, and avoid introspection. There will always be something that fills that that void. And uh, right now it's the Russians, I guess. Yeah. And um, I was. You know, as much as I've uh, grown to, you know, dislike Trump and everything he represents in the world, um, I think definitely the leftists treated him in a certain way that like enabled them to finally get the um, the uh, something out of their system that they've been preaching against. So like they were saying, like, especially in tw- around 2015, 2016, don't body shame. Right. Don't fat shame. Don't make fun of people's skin color or appearance. Meanwhile, and then suddenly they got this fat Trump fat orange Trump that they're perfectly happy to just shame his body, shame his appearance, just basically let, uh, let it all out. So um, that I'm kind of, that kind of reminds me a little bit of this. Now it's the, the anti-racists are perfectly fine now being racist towards Russians. Yeah. Well, they're not talking about universal principles. They just use these ideas to leverage power. That's all. So um, they're perfectly fine with doing all of the things that they claim are universally awful uh, if it's a if if it means somehow manipulating the levers of power and making themselves more substantial, I don't know. I think they're a bunch of fools and hypocrites, liars. They don't really believe any of that crap. 
they being like the social the tribes, the tribes, it's only oh. within their tribe. It's and 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 provided they can leverage power for their tribe, you know, they'll do whatever they want. Um, they just don't, they just, they want to shackle the, the opposing tribe, the, the hated tribe with rules and regulations of decorum, but, the, but they don't apply, you know, like when we, you know, God makes rules, but he's aloof from them. Right. Um, he, he, they don't apply to him. And likewise, these people make rules that don't apply to them. They just apply to everybody else. That does seem to be, uh, how it works. So. But, it, but, uh, do you think Ukraine is going to win this war? Uh, you saw Iran's Iran's uh, show, I'm assuming, and uh, and how the the Russians are in a sort of retreat. They've lost quite a bit of territory that they gained early on. Um, they seem to be trying to make some more moves, I think, in the south. But do you, do you, uh, do you think with uh, European aid, the uh, the Russians could possibly uh, not not make this work? European aid to Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, from what I've picked up, it does seem like uh, Russian victory is it clearly hasn't happened. Probably people thought it was going to happen quickly, like Putin and the Russians are so strong and and determined. But it uh, turns out they're a lot sloppier and less motivated. I think most importantly, they're much less motivated than the people they're invading. So it seems the Ukrainians were pretty set on not not allowing this invasion to succeed. So, I mean, from what I've picked up, it does seem like, yeah, the Russians are probably going to retreat. Maybe they'll end up with some kind of compromise, so to speak, like they'll expand their border just a little bit and and pretend that they succeeded in what they set out to do. Now, there's another power with very similar uh, territorial ambitions uh, with Taiwan, and I'm sure they're watching very closely the way things are proceeding with with Russia. But. Russia's position in the world is so much different than Taiwan. Do you think all these sanctimonious people now who are declaring their hatred for, for uh, Putin, for his he's clearly imperialistic and disgusting and brutal warmongering, do you think they would do the same thing should, uh, should China make a move on, on Taiwan? Do you think they'd be as strident? Do you think they'd withdraw their support? So, I mean, probably not. Um, generally, it seems like uh, China is only the bad guy when it comes to Tibet. And I'm assuming I'm sort of inferring it's because Tibet symbolizes the oriental mysticism, the sort of the like the non-civilization and look, nothing against Tibet, by the way. I don't know that much about them, but I think they symbolize, you know, Buddhism or or the Dalai Lama or, or whatever it is that that they represent in the eyes of a lot of people. So people on the left and the Hollywood left, I think especially has been vocal about this in recent decades that, you know, free Tibet, right? Get China away from Tibet. Um, whereas maybe with Taiwan, there's, there's no kind of reason that prompts um, the peaceniks to be, to stick up for Taiwan. Um, just like when it came to Hong Kong uh, last year or two years ago, whenever that was, that China basically reneged on their agreement um, well, I'd also like to know what those what those Hollywood peaceniks actually do about Tibet, besides popularizing the phrase free Tibet. Do they do they do they stop their movies from being sold over in China? Do they no. have they boycotted them? No, of so, course not. Um, somebody yeah. somebody on the chat might know that if Hollywood's done something more significant to show mm-hmm. its actual solidarity with the the poor people of Tibet, but um, mm-hmm. 
as far as I, I don't know of anything that they've done that's significant. I remember, I think it was Michelle Pfeiffer who, uh, after China was hit by a tsunami or some kind of natural disaster, I think it was Michelle Pfeiffer who told like a, uh, an interviewer, like, you know, that Chinese have been really mean to my friend, the Dalai Lama. And then seeing the way that this earthquake has hurt the Chinese, I'm wondering, is this karma? So yeah, that's like oh, the man. that's like the the leftist or the whatever Hollywood equivalent of Pat Robertson saying that uh, that Hurricane Katrina is, is punishment for homosexuality in America. But I'm sure they didn't make fun of her like they made fun of Pat Robertson. Right. Or there was no outrage that that's comparable, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. All right. Like uh, it's very selective. Like for, like I was saying, for once, there's. Um, there's a cause um, like a mainstream cause I'm comfortable getting on board with, which is, you know, uh, showing more moral support for Ukraine. But um, but yeah, it's like be careful kind of who you get in bed with. Right. Like. In another in another conflict, the mainstream could definitely be on the wrong side of the conflict, just like um, I'm not sure they would they would support Taiwan being attacked by China. And clearly, when it comes to Israel uh, versus the rest of the Middle East, uh, instead of accurately seeing it as, you know, the entire the entire Middle East virtually versus little Israel people, they choose instead to see it as big, bad Israel versus the Palestinian, um, you know, freedom fighters, so to so to speak, so-called. Um, so they, they purposely set it up so that the uh, more free country, the more Western civilized uh, capitalist Israel is seen as a big, bad Goliath. Uh, so generally, it does seem like um, the more capitalist a country is, the more it's vilified and the less people are likely to defend it. Um, so maybe that's one of the reasons there was not um, outrage in defense of Hong Kong, maybe because ultimately Hong Kong was being made less free uh, economically as a result of hmm. being being taken over by China a couple of years ago. What a crazy backwards world we live in. We sure do. All right. I got a few super chats already. Apollo he says, hi, Rucka and Mark. Uh, Roland with 499 euros says, since you've spelled it with two L's, let's hear you pronounce it with a British accent too. Oh, what? canceling. Canceling, I guess. They spell it with one L? No, I think, I think canceling would be a resonance issue. It wouldn't be a vowel thing. You wouldn't say canceling. I think you'd say canceling. It would just have a resonance, right? There's with various accents and dialects. Here it is. I'm giving you a class in accents Please. and dialects, if that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Resonance, the placement of the voice happens in different parts of the mouth. And the British placement is a certain thing. Um, so uh, and not all vowels um, have that or or ah sound to it. Some of them are actually have more in common with the with the uh, American lilt, but they just have a resonance that's different within the mouth. Cool. Right? I'm going to guess. So, you so, so you don't say when you say cat, like cat in, in, in the uh, standard British perceived uh, received pronunciation, you'd say cat. It would just it's the same vowel sound with a different vocal resonance. That's Interesting. Okay. Wow. This is really cool guys. Free uh, <laughs> accent lessons from Mark. I mean, so I'm guessing you have to study this uh, to be a working actor. Is that true or not? Everyone, not everyone. Yeah. Makes that effort. 
not not everyone makes that effort, but I think it's uh, I think it goes with the territory. And and I have never studied it formally, but because I've had to do multiple dialects and accents in my work, I've I've had to uh, I've had to study with various people to um, to do it. So it's it's been a more of a, a practical addition to my work, you know, more than a conscientious effort, you know, single single conscientious effort. Interesting. You, you I, yeah. I just kind of make up accents as I go. So there you is, go. Well, it's useful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sammy with 99 pence. Thank you for that. Regina with two euros. Thank you. Jonathan with 199 Americans. Allison with $10 says, what y'all think of major corporations coming together with the, with the Ukraine, with their donations and charities while pulling business out of Russia? It's awesome. These companies are doing it. Question mark in parentheses? Well, I certainly find that better than governmental aid. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of foreign aid at all, because there are probably people, regardless of the justice of, of the, the cause of the war that they're uh, being forced to support, don't like the idea of war at all and shouldn't be forced to support it. So the fact that corporations are doing it with, with money and resources that are theirs and withdrawing you know, resources from, from Russia, uh, I'm sure it's a small hit on their radar, but um, it's certainly it's certainly good. I'd like to see them do the same thing with China. I'm a bit less uh, comfortable with it because I know how fickle the culture can be. So like I'm the same way with Elon Musk. You know, when I see Elon Musk, um, you know, helping the Ukrainian fighters with his by what the means that he has, I'm like. I mean, we, we maybe we like what Elon Musk is doing now, but uh, it would not shock me if the next billionaire to to, to fill his to, to come along in the future now feels that you know that Hamas are the ju- the the just fighters in in the conflict they're in, or it could be the Iranians in 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 their own in their I own think way. That's, so, I think that's where the government can legitimately step in, since Hamas and the Iranians are legitimate threats to civilization, and are their their ideas are predicated on violence and terrorism against innocent people. Um, I think the government could legitimately step in and, and hobble a a billionaire who decided to do that. But you know, these people are, irrespective of the fact that their government isn't great, certainly corrupt and has a, a lot of issues. I think even perhaps even more issues than the United States um, is still a, a, a basically free country with with some democratic principles that is being attacked by a country that has no democratic principles whatsoever. So, I mean, I think the, the moral case is very clear there. And and in the case where it wouldn't be clear, the, I think the government could step in and intervene. Now, I interviewed Claire Fox when I was in London, who is a baroness in the House of Lords. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. What I, was I her pers- What was royalty's perspective on this? <laughs> royalties. Well, Lord. What was the Lord's perspective? Um, she's been, uh, she, from what I can tell, she's very good at uh, leaving the left when they go crazy, but also not being seduced by the right. And their freak show that they've been uh, assembling in recent years. So she she points out, uh, I mean, like many people, she's good at pointing out what's wrong with both sides. Uh, She points out that the right 
have their version of canceling where like anyone who's not with them is against them. So basically if you don't agree with let's say Trump or, or whoever, now you're a leftist. So now if we can target you and harass you and maybe even make you lose your job, if we can, because this is what fighting the left requires uh, and the left is evil. So she's pretty good. I, I thought based on talking to her at identifying that and something I pointed out when talking to her is that, yeah, for, for so many years, you know, Antifa and these crazy left-wing nuts have been calling people Nazis and, you know, punching them, smashing stuff in the name of fighting Nazis. And the conservatives, whatever, people on the reactionary right have said, stop calling people Nazis inappropriately and stop being violent towards them because you consider them Nazis. That is not how civilized people behave. Then we've got Putin, who, in my opinion, is like Antifa personified. He is just complete. He's deciding Ukraine is run by Nazis or they need to be denazified and basically invades Ukraine on that premise. To me, that is like Antifa with a military like that. That is virtually everything that Antifa yeah. is said to be. So but of course, we're seeing the right wingers uh, much more reluctant to criticize Putin and they see him as a symbol of strength and um you know, and civility or like order, I should say, like they see him as a as a buffer against the left, even though he's he's literally doing the thing that Antifa was doing, I think, or is doing, which is attacking people physically, uh, calling them Nazis, uh, whether or not it's appropriate. So it's uh, it's quite ridiculous. Um, yeah, God it's inconceivable us, to me that conservatives on any level can support this guy. But um, uh, he is a nationalist and a sort of traditionalist. So I think he generally falls into their wheelhouse. And I guess because of that, they support him because they find value in those things. But um, uh, I, it's inconceivable to me. Yeah, I was talking to some random, uh, you know, ran, a random person on the Internet who, who follows me. And um, and we, we we got to talking about Russia and she says, um, if you ever get into studying Russia, you realize they have a slightly different definition of serious in many situations. The state pretends to tell the truth and the public pretends to believe them. Based on kind of what I've picked up about Russian culture, it does seem like they have this kind of weird, unspoken understanding where like Putin is like Putin is clearly a power luster. He's clearly just kind of says something, whether it's true or not. The people sort of know he's a bullshitter, but they it's, it's, it's very creepy and weird. And I know I'm going to piss off people by saying this, like I kind of see Trump as uh, as taking a step, bringing us a step in that direction where like he just he says things that like even he knows are he's just making up as he goes. And the at least the movement around him and often you end up seeing also Fox News and and large other segments of 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 American, the American public just going with whatever Trump says. And like, uh, it's like the truth doesn't even matter. Reality doesn't even matter. I think I think that's ends justify the means philosophy. It's just that those on the right, especially those who rejected him initially and then embraced him after he became president, you know, like the Dennis Pragers of the world and the Mark Levins, and um, the, in, they they see a larger enemy out there, the larger enemy of the left, and they're not wrong. I mean, the left is an extremely destructive and nihilistic movement. But they're willing to ally themselves with, you know, a strange bedfellow like Trump, um, who's who's um, sort of self-detonating and so coarse that um, 
he's he's really unpalatable on so many on so many levels and and such a pragmatist and unprincipled on so many levels but they don't they don't care about that at the moment he's fighting their enemy and so they're willing to embrace him sort of like uh, sort of like uh, the United States in the in the in the 40s when we allied ourselves with Stalin to fight Hitler um, you know we took all his flaws and and some of our leaders like Roosevelt even liked Stalin um, you know yeah. because they're pathological but you know I, yeah it's ends justify the means uh you know in all its ugly glory yeah i mean um dennis prager has mentioned that alliance with russia during world war ii as a good thing because um <clears throat> i mean I don't, maybe not a good thing but like a necessary way to fight evil the evil here being germany obviously and he's not wrong that germany was evil is he you know nazi germany was evil and needed to be confronted but um, I think uh, I, I tend to agree with Ayn Rand, who said, first off, stay out of that war until it really becomes America's re requirement to enter. But also to align with Soviet Russia is in nobody's interest. And it ended up uh, giving the Soviet Union a big chunk of the world that including half of Germany, I guess, that they otherwise would never have probably been able to achieve. Um, so many, yeah, you, many. You, yeah. Yeah, you can't compromise with more morality and and people like the Dennis Prager's of the world and people on the right think you can. In fact, they think politics is defined by compromise. And I think the slow the, the slow march of the left over the last 150 years to total cultural dominance and political dominance, where the conservatives are now conserving left leftist principles are not even conserving social uh, uh, classical liberalism anymore shows you that the most consistent morality wins and no compromise can be had between two opposing moral views. One will win. Um, and, uh, and, and so guys like Dennis Prager are absolutely wrong when they said it was a necessary alliance. We should have let Hitler and Stalin murder each other. And as Rand said, go in and kill the one who is still standing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and the, we, we pay for these errors indefinitely. Like it just, the ripple effect or whatever the metaphor is, it just, it, it can, the echo lasts for decades, yeah. if not longer. You fail uh, to confront evil, you, you know, you empower it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I tend to think 9-11 would not have happened, but for the appeasement of Iran in, in 1979, uh, basically, uh, every every time the U.S. and other Western countries treated uh, Iran with kid gloves and treated Hezbollah with kid gloves, basically a a satellite of Iran. Uh, anytime the Islamic threat was treated with kid gloves, it emboldened them, made them more confident, made them accurately see Western countries as as paper tigers, and uh, that and that type of confidence uh, brings about victory, at least in in some in some dosage. So um, now in a good in a good sense, we're seeing that confidence in Ukraine. The Ukrainians are confident in what they're fighting for, and it seems to be working in their favor, despite all the horrific atrocities uh, that I'm hearing are being committed against the Ukrainians. It's st they still haven't lost. And they're I don't think they're going to lose because they're confident. They know what they're fighting for versus the Russians who are, from what I picked up, not quite sure what they're even doing there. Um, Sammy with 99 pence. Thank you for that. And thank you, Chandler for $2. Allison with $2 says, I think responding to, uh, why it is that, um, 
people who always said to Antifa, like, don't punch Nazis, like, don't say, don't punch people you consider Nazis. But now that uh, Putin is actually taking a, a military into, you know, denazifying Ukraine, those a lot of those same people are fine with that. I think Allison referring to that says, or it could be because they follow their tribe. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a good reason, like the, the yeah. correct reason. It is tribalism to the to the max. Um, now, um, and now I, su- I suggested that people are finally feel at ease uh, letting their freak, their racist freak fly like, oh, finally, there's a group we get to openly hate being, you know, Russians. And I don't think that's an inherent part of humanity. I don't think that's something we have within us that we're just waiting to finally unleash. I think it's a it comes from faulty premises philosophically. It comes from a lot of errors and tension and, you know, kind of uh, uh, psychological issues that come from the wrong ideas. Um, now, also tribalism, I don't see as inherent. You know, people think, oh, that's just the default. It's, it's evolution made us this way. I see it more as it's the default without reason. It's the default when we don't use our most important tool, which is individualistically operated reason, then of course the easiest thing to do is to turn to the tribe and say, I'll just, I'll go with the rest of these people. Yeah. I think that's the better way of putting it. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, uh, there's no other super chats. Uh, I think we've, we've covered the cancellation of Russia. It's stupid. It makes no sense. I mean, opposing Putin and the Russian country, the military, whatever government is, is correct. Canceling them, so to speak, but uh, removing the word Russia from, you know, from, from a restaurant and uh, not reading Dostoevsky is just, I mean, it, it, it makes, uh, it kind of makes people wonder, like maybe Putin isn't as bad as I thought. If like, if the people opposing Putin are this absurd and childish, then I wonder if, uh, if they've exaggerated, the the atrociousness of Russian actions. So it really is. Um, it, I mean, you, you wouldn't see this in Atlas Shrugged, the the level of absurdity we've seen in the world in recent years. Right. Like Rand couldn't try to sell us a novel with with some of this stupidity that we're seeing. It's uh, even even as far sighted as she was. I don't think she could have uh, foreseen some of the insanity that's going on today. Uh, I, I mean, hmm, I wonder uh, some of the stuff in Atlas Shrug is fairly absurd. I mean, it, it certainly borders on a lot of the stuff that we've seen. You know, the, yeah. the mass, the massive evasion, and the, the destruction of identity, and and the the uh, impugning of reason and logic, and 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 the results of that are are, are not unlike the madness of, of the final days in Atlas Shrugged. On that, uh, I think we agree definitely. There's um, the 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 like one of the most uh, startling things about Atlas Shrugged is just the way that it's not. There's no conspiracy. There's no like uh, smart group of evil people that are you know pulling the puppet strings. It really is just a, a bunch of people evading um, and tr- trying to pass the uh, pass the potato, pass the responsibility over to someone else. And that I think is sort of what we see locally, nationally, globally. It's a bunch of scared neurotics uh, assuming that someone else knows how to handle these things. Um, uh, so. it's, fri- it's frightening. You know, there's there's a book called A Very Private Woman uh, about the uh, the uh, the inventor of the DC art school, um, whose name escapes me now. 
she was she was murdered on the on a towpath in Georgetown, and and there was a lot of uh, conspiracy theories running around about her affiliation with with uh, JFK because she was very close with him, would visit the White House often. There was speculation that she was having an affair with him and was killed as a result of it. I did a movie um, about it, uh, sort of loosely based on on that book. Um, but to to read about the the neurotics, alcoholics, and drug addicts that were running the country at a, exactly the time when, when tensions between Moscow and the United States were so high that, you know, people were deploying missiles in Cuba and blockades and you know, military, military confrontation was literally on the verge. It's frightening to see how many of these people in positions of power were just simpering, neurotic uh, drug-addled, alcoholic idiots. Don't respect these people. There's nothing to respect about them. Right. Not really. Another, uh, to jump over to much earlier Ayn Rand, in contrast to Atlas Shrugged, you see the um, one of the Soviet, uh, pro-Soviet people in We the Living, he's like drunk on the floor saying like, I drink the best liquor. I have the best liquor. I can drink just as well as those bourgeois, right? He's like bragging, drunk, bragging, like you see his true colors when he's drunk. And I think uh, in her youth, as well as in her maturity, Rand seems to really identify the sort of psychological state of power lusters and and various uh, types of villains. Um, what, what was the name of the movie, if you could share, that you did? Uh, you know, I don't remember. An American something or other. It's it's, it's an American something or other. Maybe, 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 it, somebody, maybe somebody it's an American affair. By, with That's Matthew it. Coswell. Thank, thank you very much for reminding me. I'm a very knowledgeable uh, movie buff, but actually Allison gave me the answer in the super chat. Thank you for American, that. American Affair. That's right. Yeah. In which I'm guessing you had the titular line. Boy, what this an sucks. American affair. <laughs> no, no, no. That No, it was a different one. That That's that's the second most titular mm -hmm. line. The first one is, wow, this really sucks. Yeah, this yeah, sucks. That was, that was the one. Yeah. Memorable. All right. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, that was, uh, I think we've covered a lot. Let's, uh, I'm going to jump over to clubhouse and you're welcome to join if you got time. Thank We'd you. Love. I have to, I have to deal with department of transportation issues, but I'll try to pop in. One of the many ways in which uh, big government has is preventing us from being productive. There you the go. DMV, those bastards. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for the great conversation. Thank you all for the super chats and watching. Please become an Ayn Rand Center UK member. Link below and help uh, get yourself access to exclusive stuff, content, as well as support this thing or the world is probably lost. I'm going to speak in negative terms. We're going to lose without your help. Thank you all. And coming up, wait, 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 wait. Coming up today at 9 p.m. UK time, it's HBTV with Harry Binswanger and Lee Pearson. They will continue their discussion from the cutting edge on affordances. You cannot afford to miss this. Affordances? Yeah. I, I, what I is that? Um, literally, I think we, uh, like when you can afford something, but I don't know what they were, they're talking about. So check out mm -hmm. the most recent episode of The Cutting Edge with Lee Pearson and then watch the, the, the continuation of that discussion on HBTV coming up today. Thank you all. Thank you. And goodbye. Bye.